Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week, and this week we go way back in time to the very beginning. Uh, one of the biggest influences, not only on metal, but obviously on this podcast as well, because it's kind of where it all started with Black Sabbath. But before we get there, Chris, how are you, my man? I am doing well. This was uh, this was definitely a history lesson for me because I, I was not really familiar with with this album. So uh, I definitely gave it a, a whole bunch of listens and tried to really let it um, let it seep in, let it marinate, if you will. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get there, I just want to talk about a couple of new things that I heard this week. This kind of really, really interesting stuff. The first thing, and I actually sent this to you, is a band out of the UK called Fellowship. They released a single called Oak and Ash. And simply put, uh, I heard this and my immediate thought was, Chris is going to love this. And I, I, think, I think I might have hit the nail on the head. The best way I would describe it is really fast power metal, kind of in the vein of a glory hammer or a dragon force with that kind of upbeat, happy sound. Um, did I hit the nail on the head? Did you like this one? Yeah. It's uh, it, it, at first it reminded me of a dragon force, but then um, it was a little less, a uh, little less wanky, um, but it, it was super catchy and definitely grabbed me right away. So uh, I look forward to hearing more from, from this band. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. If you're into that style of power metal, you could do a lot worse than these guys. So I think this is their debut album. Uh, a band that is not releasing their debut album, Within Temptation, dropped a new single, and the song was called Don't Pray For Me. I'll post it this week. What were your thoughts on this? Because this is a band that, like, we did Mother Earth. We talked about it in the archives. They've kind of had a very interesting arc throughout their career. But I happen to think this song was fantastic. And it reminded me of something that you would have heard either on the heart of everything or possibly um, even earlier than that in the discography. But I thought they really hit this one out of the park. Yeah, it's definitely less uh, pop-oriented than a lot of their more recent singles, so I definitely could see why you uh, you enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I only listened to it one time, but um, it was good. Yeah, I, I uh, echo your sentiments there. I think that I, I'll be curious to see if the new album is in this direction or more in the line with some of the other singles that have been released over the last couple of months because it's quite quite a stark contrast, I think, between the two, and, and maybe that'll make for a, an interesting album if, if it's kind of all over the place like that. Yeah, um, I feel like it's been a while since they released a, a full-length album, so um, it should be interesting to see what uh, what comes next. I know they've been dropping a lot of singles, um, pretty much. The last album came out in 2019, so since then they've released uh, four new songs. Um, I have no idea if those are going to be on the next album or just going to be standalone, but... Uh, they all seem to have their own kind of flavor, and this uh, this new one, "Don't Pray for Me," is no exception. Yeah, no, no question about that. Um, and then, obviously, it'll be interesting to see what they do on tour, um, opening for Iron Maiden. I know that when when we see them in October, they're probably only going to play for forty five minutes, maybe an hour. Uh, so they kind of have to cram a lot into a short set, but I would imagine they're going to focus on some of the newer materials just because that's typically what bands tend to do when they when they have a 
when it's a headlining band playing a, a, an opening slot, trying to cram uh, as much music as they can, I'd be very surprised if this song didn't make the cut, though, just because it's so good. I thought Iron Maiden was opening, so that changes a lot <laughs> for me. I hope, I hope Amy knows what she's in for because uh, I, I, I had, I had, I had on good authority that Within Temptation was headlining the show, just the one on Long Island, not. not oh, the rest okay. Of the tour. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe I got my signals crossed. We'll, we'll certainly see what happens. And I got one other band that was literally sent to me about ten minutes before we recorded. The band is called Seventh Storm. They're out of Portugal. And it features um, the drummer or the original drummer from Moonspell, Mike Gaspar. And this song um, that I heard, it was called um, Haunted Sea. What a crazy, crazy rendition of, of that kind of melancholic, um, melodic death metal thing that 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 I don't know. I, I guess I call it like dark and brooding, but... They do it really, really well. And if this song is any indication for what the album is going to be, I, I have very high hopes for Seventh Storm. I believe the album is due out on August 12th, and it's called Maledictus, um, which I'm absolutely sure I'm butchering, but it sounds really, really cool. So I, I'm looking forward to this as well. Yeah, I noticed that uh, Milton had posted something about that just a little while ago, but I, I haven't had a chance to... Give it a listen. I, I've been trying to catch, like, catch up, um, doing, trying to do a better job listening to, uh, some of the albums that came out this year. And believe it or not, the one that really caught my ear this week was the new or most recent Red Hot Chili Peppers album, Unlimited Love, that came out this year. Um, I can't remember the last time I just got one of their new albums and listened to it, like, within the first year that it came out, but it's good. It's got a lot of that. Real, like that kind of funk rock that you're used to from them, but um, some really cool, um, you know, kind of reggae-ish here and there, like rap here and there, like just really catchy, really funky. I, I actually really liked it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm just kind of making my way through the list. I listened to um, the Yanni Limatainen uh, solo album earlier today, My Father's Son. Uh, I think it was the first time I actually listened to it from start to finish, and and that's a really good album. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, a lot of cool uh, like guest vocal appearances. I think I most definitely heard some Jens Johansson keyboards uh, on at least one of the songs. So, um, other than Black Sabbath, um, and you and you had made a new playlist, which I have to add to our Spotify. Um, I didn't really listen to to much else, but um, I, I need to get back on the ball i'm in i'm in like early may of albums right now so i'm not terribly yeah i was definitely way way further behind last year um but uh a lot has come out um since the beginning of june Uh, i have a whole bunch of albums to get through that just from the beginning of june so um definitely have some catching up to do and and i still have to listen to the hellstar album that was uh, gifted to me from um, from Chris uh, when we ran into him at Prague Power, the Nosferatu uh, album. I, I, I'm thinking maybe we might just cover it um, since he was nice enough to to buy me an album, um, but I haven't listened to it yet. Um, so something to think about. But uh, nice, yeah. You know, you know how it, you know how it is. But uh, I, I, I'm trying not to catch myself uh, flat-footed um, towards the end of the year when it's time to put a list together, like I tend to do every other year so 
well, we'll you're see. you're in the you're in the ballpark. You're at least in the right. Um, you know, you're you're about two months out, which it could be a lot I worse. Was until I started listening to music that came out forty years ago, <laughs> and that is that is definitely um, forty. I think it's actually fifty now. 50, oh my god! Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I I I mean, math never the strong suit. But this 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 Black Sabbath album, their debut was released in 1970, which is just absolutely bonkers to me. It was recorded in October of 69. It came out in the UK on February 13th of 1970, came out June 1st of 1970 here in the US. And and the entire time that I listened to this album, I couldn't help but think what this must have been like at the time. I think we take for granted a little bit, you know, how different this was for 1970, but if you look at all the other albums that were coming out at this time, nothing sounded like this. And I'm not going to have the debate, you know, who started heavy metal and, and, and where the genre actually started because you could, I think everyone has their own opinion as to that. But what I think is, it was rat. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I think is undeniable is this album's influence was probably like no other album up to this point. There were glimpses of it. There were songs. Uh, no doubt about that. But this album kind of broke the broke the wall down, if you will. And um, it's it's incredible how heavy it is. And, and he- by heavy, I don't mean obviously fast because they're the forefathers of doom metal. This is really slow and, and, and kind of plotting in certain spots. But God, is it heavy. Um what were your what was your initial reaction to this? Because I'm sure you know a lot of the greatest hits, but this is you get some of the deeper cuts on this one. Yeah, I think NIB was the only song that I really recognized, if I'm being totally honest. Um I the follow up album Paranoid, I know way more songs from that, you know, War Pigs and Iron Man and Paranoid itself. Um so this one was a little bit uh a little bit more of a a deep listen for me. Um, and yeah, it, it's, I, I didn't love it on the first listen. This is just definitely a grower for me. Um, but it, it just kept, I kept thinking about how like mind boggling this must've been in 1970 when it was released, because the only band I could think of that would be even close to this at this time would be Led Zeppelin as yeah, far as like funny. heaviness goes. Yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned that because there are, parts of this album that actually remind me a lot of Zeppelin and we'll, we'll get to that, but then they obviously go in this different direction because I think the bluesy elements that are on this album, definitely reminiscent of Zeppelin, but there's some of these, like some of these riffs, Zeppelin couldn't touch these riffs. And I'm not sure that Jimmy Page would want to, because it just wasn't his style. He was such a bluesy um, type of guitarist, but like some of the, these riffs are just like thunderous in, in many ways and, and they're repetitive, but not in a bad way. It just kind of drives the sound. Um, I, I don't think I'm, I'm spoiling anything here when I kind of just go through who, who this band is. Obviously it's Ozzy Osbourne on, on lead, on lead vocals. Uh, Tony Iommi has been there the whole time on guitar, uh, longtime bass player, Geezer Butler and Bill Ward on drums. You're talking about four absolute icons, um, at what they did. What I didn't know was that part of the reason for this sound being so dark and heavy 
was because Tony Iommi, I apparently had issues with like the tips of his fingers and actually like had to put on like these extenders to kind of help him play. And the way he played the guitar, he had to play in this manner in order for him to play. I thought that was absolutely crazy. I did not know that. The, sometimes there's just nothing stopping the genius from happening. <laughs> yeah, no I, I'll, I'll say uh, it's 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 you're coming from like dark Birmingham, England, which is you know a factory town, and this is like kind of the uh, the soundtrack, I guess, for 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 what that city was, you know, over 50 years ago with the factories and the coal and all that stuff that was you know kind of just getting churned out back there. Um, did you, did anything else jump out at you or, or I guess kind of change over the course of the week that you were listening to it? I know you didn't love it at first. I, I, am wondering if that kind of changed as you, as you had a chance to digest it. Yeah, it definitely grew on me. There were, there were actually, um, by the end of the week, there were songs that were actually getting stuck in my head. Um, I, there was something I, I was hoping that maybe you could shed some light on because I was very curious about it. And, and um, it, it's that, uh, you know, I was talking to Nops the other day about this album and he popped it up on Spotify. And he, what he saw was like a completely different track listing. And, and from what I can tell, the European and the North American edition of these albums were kind of different. Um I listened to the European edition, the reissue with the bonus track, uh, Wicked World, which mm-hmm. is part of the, the, uh, the stand, the standard edition of the North American version. So I, I, I'm just, I know that you, like UK bands had a tendency of having like different versions back in the day. Do you happen to know, um, uh, is it just a different are the songs just labeled differently and, and merged together or are there actually different songs because i'm seeing that like there's songs called like wasp and basically that are on this north american edition and a bit of finger um what's the the, the difference here and and uh like what like you know what's going on here <laughs> yeah that's that's a great question I have no idea. I actually noticed that myself and I never really noticed it up until like very, very recently. But the way they kind of lump these songs together, um, to your point, NIB, which is, you know, one of their most iconic tracks is like lumped together with Wasp, Behind the Wall of Sleep, and basically with two S's. I, I think that there's, um, I think there's probably a reason for that it's all lumped together as one track. And then you talk about sleeping village that was kind of lumped together with a bit of finger and warning. I have no idea why I'm going to listen to it because I'm kind of curious, but I I listened to what I guess I considered the classic version of the album that, that you had kind of alluded to earlier with, um, you know, with the wicked world bonus track. But to me, this was always a seven track album with NIB kind of right in the middle of it, kind of differentiating the end of side one and then the beginning of side two. Warning is actually a cover. I think that that might play into it a little bit. And Sleeping Village, obviously, is a track six. Well, here's here's what I'm picking up as I'm re-listening to it right now. It it looks like Wasp is the the beginning part of Behind the Wall of Sleep and basically Uh. is the bass solo at the beginning of NIB. And for whatever reason on the North American edition, they crammed all of this together into one nine minute track. But if you actually 
combined behind the wall of sleep and NIB, it comes out to the same length. So I'm guessing by that same logic, um, a bit of finger is the beginning of sleeping village. And so it's the, it's going to be, yeah, sleeping village and warning combined. Um, yeah. And that comes out to about the same as well. So it looks that like they like, took yeah. parts out of the original songs and gave them their own titles, but they were just kind of short pieces. And then wicked world was kind of stuck in there too. And then, in 2004, Evil Woman, which is on the U- original UK edition, was added um, to the the US reissue because that song was not on the original US album. So, hope everybody's taking notes because um, <laughs> you'll be quizzed at the end. Yeah, because I remember the Beatles. I mean, even did the kind of something similar a few years prior to this, where their their American and their UK releases were not exactly the same. Um, so. Um, I guess this is not terribly um, unusual for a UK band, but um, I just thought it was interesting um, how it was done. But I I don't think we listened to anything different than what somebody who had the North American version would have heard. No, but I think the way we'll break it down will be, you know, kind of the traditional track by track uh, synopsis, I guess, of of what this is. Uh, it's, It's interesting to me. The first track on this album is obviously Black Sabbath, right? So you've never heard this band before. You pop on the record in 1970, and all of a sudden you hear church bells and this pouring rain. To me, this was like Hell's Bells before there was a Hell's Bells, you know, 10 years prior. This... And I'm surprised you didn't know this track because, in my opinion, this is probably up there with War Pigs as, as... two of maybe their top five tracks in terms of notoriety, obviously Paranoid, obviously Iron Man, but I would put this up there with it. Um, I recognize the opening riff without a doubt, but then the rest of the song, I was just kind of like, I I thought it sounded almost like a slower version of how War Pigs opens. Oh, Um, I I completely agree. And I think there's probably a reason for that. And I don't think there's a War Pigs unless there's the self, you know, the self-titled track. The build on this song is not only iconic, but I, I think it's genre defining, right? Like how can you not hear Candlemas when you go back and listen to this uh, this song? And obviously we covered um, their, their Candlemas's first recording, you know, in the archives, but this is like, this is doom metal in 1970. There's no doubt about it. And what it's, what's interesting to me is Ozzy sounds fantastic. And I would argue, and I know this is going to, this is kind of a hot take. I think Ozzy is a solo artist overrated i don't i think he's got some pretty good songs but i don't love his solo material but damn if he doesn't sound good 10 years prior 15 years prior on this on this recording i think he sounds great on this album and i'm not a big fan of his vocals generally speaking but here i think it's just absolutely perfect um for what this is and when you combine that thunderous bass sound with that down tune guitar it's something that had never been done before as far as I'm concerned and really just kind of revolutionized and kicked off the whole genre. Yeah. Ozzy just has this really creepy voice that I think fits this style of music perfectly um, because it's just so dark and doomy and like Ozzy sounds like, you know, the grim reaper pretty much is right behind you. And, and it's, 
it's it's definitely different than the Ozzy that we came to know in the eighties with you know Crazy Train and what have you. And and I've always been a a, a big fan of the Ozzy solo material. Um, maybe more so than you, I guess, based on what you just said. Um, but you know, it, it's it's different. It, it's it's a little more distorted. It's a little m- more like fuzzy i guess and and i'm sure that's done on purpose because that's kind of you know it's also you know 15 years or so prior but um it's just so like dark and like you know it's like the the scary side of halloween uh the holiday not the halloween song Um, (laughs) but this this is i think probably the most like really creepy haunting like dreary song on the album and i I didn't like it at first it it took it took some time to grow on me it's still really not my favorite and i understand why it would be considered a a real iconic legendary song but i just find it to be a little bit boring i guess um i i do prefer hate me send your hate mail to me (laughs) i i do prefer war pigs as an opening song that would obviously come out on on paranoid just you know, a couple of months after this release, which I think just, just because bananas. War Pigs had had like some pop to it, it really like it was it was catchy and it had a little bit more um, a little more energy and a higher a faster tempo and it wasn't nearly as depressing. Um, yeah, you know, that's one I, of my it's definitely one of my all time favorite songs, and so uh, this is definitely a a, a very a, a counterpoint to that. And and yeah, I agree. And and when you talk about like that dark and dreariness, I mean, there are references to Satan here, right? And and I don't think the band is a satanic band. In fact, if anything, I think there's actually some religious overtones to to some of the music. But this is this is not the first. This is the first, but it's not the only you know reference. Obviously, when we get to NIB, there's a Lucifer reference there, which is very very clear. And and obviously, the wizard is a very interesting take on 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 Tolkien. But I'll say this. The other thing that was, in my opinion, really remarkable about this track and the, the album as a whole was that it was recorded in one day. Uh, I, I had no idea. They went into the studio. They had two days to kind of get this thing done. And the second day was like the mastering and the mixing. So they basically went in, recorded it live. And what you heard was what came out on this album. And I think that that, number one, adds the, a little bit of the allure. But number two, it, it's just a remarkable feet that they were able to basically take their live show because that's what they were playing at the time this album go into the studio lay it down within one day and then bam you have this iconic album it was it was incredible and they basically just took the sound effects in black sabbath like the rain and the bells and put it over the top and and they released it as is that's incredible to me yeah i mean Anybody that can do any something like that, it's just it really is amazing. Um, I will say, I like I do like this song more towards the end, where you really start to hear those those guitar solos and the the drumming really picks up, and uh, it's just a real like instrumental powerhouse that lasts like minute and a half of the song. Yeah. And it's glad, a great way to, to end. It's a great way to end like a very kind of plodding and and dreary kind of tune that up until that point. So. And I think that that kind of leads into like the album kind of branching a, a little bit away from that really kind of like down tune, like just dreary type of song. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because the last, like you said, the last minute and a half or two minutes of this song is just iconic 
Black Sabbath, and I, I think it's phenomenal. And I, I think I definitely like this song more than you. But what was interesting to me is you finish this this dark and dreary song, and what do you hear next? A harmonica solo, which permeates the entire second track, The Wizard. It's so different, but yet dark in its own way, I guess, kind of maybe maybe less dark and a little still depressing, if, if that makes sense. What I didn't also realize is that Ozzy plays the harmonica on this song, which is just fantastic. Um, and it's just the contrast between the harmonica and the drums I thought was really, really awesome. And then all of a sudden, this like another iconic doom riff just kicks off, um, or, or I should say kicks in. This is another one that's like a real, I guess, catchy, catchy little chorus, you know, that kind of picks up a little bit. Uh, again, I hear candle mass uh, through and through on this track, but with, just with a harmonica. Uh, I just, all I kept picturing was Ozzy playing a harmonica and it was just, my mind was just like, <laughs> uh, just, you know, the Prince of Darkness uh, r- ripping a few uh, riffs on his old harmonica um, right in between yelling for Sharon. Um <laughs> I, I thought this was such a such a turn from the last song. It's this is like um, really has that like seventies classic rock kind of vibe, but with those darker like those darker just uh, distorted guitar riffs. And then I, this is a really fun bluesy kind of tune. And I kept thinking of Chris Jericho because now that he calls himself a wizard, like if he really wants to like turn the fans against him, he could, you can get rid of Judas as his entrance and just come out to this. Cause the fans don't know what the hell to do. Talk about a missed opportunity. And to me, <laughs> it's a no brainer. Uh, very, very interesting track to say the least. Uh, I'll say this, not my favorite, but kind of sticks in your head and, and is quite catchy. It transitions into behind the wall of sleep. This one I think is a little less dark than the, than the prior two. Definitely bluesy, and this is the one that really has a Led Zeppelin feel to me. Um, I think the verses are a touch bland, but it's very, very cool sonically. I had it on with headphones one day, and I heard like the vocals kind of bouncing around from side to side. And what really stood out on this track, the bass lines are so good. I mean, so, so good. Um, not my favorite track. Maybe I don't like the happy Black Sabbath, but there's just something about this track, the bass lines that resonated with me. And I can say that about a lot of this particular album. I think that the what was interesting is a lot of times that you'll hear the guitar solo, which is, you know, a patented heavy metal thing that, you know, all the guitar solo. What you also hear at the same time is the bass solo underneath it, which I thought was fascinating because what you don't have is it's not like it's just like this repetitive bass line while the guitar is you know, the, you know, the guitar solo is doing its thing. They're both soloing at the same time. And I thought that was fascinating. Uh, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> I don't know what else to add to that. That was very well put. Um, the, the, the opening riff reminds me of maybe Zeppelin, maybe Rush. I can't put my finger on it, but, um, it's, it's just a very, that it's just one of those riffs that just sticks right in your head. Like I, I, I kept hearing that riff over and over in my head. It's uh, this is this is kind of a cool, like blink if you miss it, quick kind of tune. But um, it, it's it's catchy. Like I, I like this. Um, you know, so far three songs that really have their own kind of flavor, and and I think that that's pretty cool. Um, I, I I think this was one of the ones that kind of um 
really uh, resonated with me on the first listen. Like I was like, oh, here we go. Here's something that's a little bit more uh, like palatable or, or um, accessible, I guess would be the word. I, I would agree with that. Um, you transition into NIB and for many, many people, they call it nativity in black. The band has refuted this time and time again. It's just NIB. Um, this song is unequivocally, in my opinion, the best song on the album. It's a all time classic. It starts with that really fuzzy bass intro, which I think is just a perfect start. And then all of a sudden that heavy riff, it's, it's chill inducing in many respects. And I think it's one of those songs that every metalhead knows and loves. And, and it's, the verses are great. The chorus is great. The lyrics are interesting. And I, and it's really a song about kind of Lucifer's influence from his point of view, which I thought was fascinating. And again, Ozzy sounds absolutely fantastic. He's clear. He's intelligible. I mean, what more could you possibly ask from Ozzy, right? It's just so, so good. Um, and I also like that it's a touch faster than everything that kind of comes before it. It's my song of the week, and it's probably one of the songs of, uh, you know, the last 50 years in many respects. Yeah, um, really, uh, you nailed it. Um, I just It just dawned on me, so I just want to point it out. Um, the last song, um, Behind the Wall of Sleep, reminded me of What You're Doing by Rush, an older nice. Rush song. That's That's what it was. I was trying to put my finger on it and then i just looked it up really quick so um but yeah um yeah this uh, like i said before this was the song that i actually knew i just didn't know that i knew it and i know i'd heard of it and um i just it's so funny because um speaking of chris jericho he told the story on his podcast years ago about how when he finally got to meet ozzy he was so excited to ask like what he was you know considered like these nerdy fanboy questions and the one that he was excited to ask him was what nib stood for and ozzy basically just told him like it didn't stand for anything like it literally was just a name that we gave the song when we wrote it because we didn't know what else to call it and it actually is nib not nib and apparently they did an interview and they said by the time the album came out in the states people were saying it was nativity in black but um i don't know that the band ever actually said that that's what it stood for or that it yeah, stood no, for I think anything, they've actually so. refuted it if I'm not mistaken yeah. they've actually gone so. on record saying it's not that so I just thought it was funny that like he would go right to the source and get probably one of the most like unsatisfying answers <laughs> well in, 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 but uh, nibis nibis I'm gonna sh- I am gonna share your sentiment and it was my favorite song on the album and I'm gonna share my sentiment as this being the song of the week for me as well I just as much as I, I enjoyed um, most of the rest of the album, I thought this was just the song that stood out the most. And it, it's just so classic to me. Um, it, it's amazing to me that a song like this came out, you know, so long ago, um, 52 years ago. It's just, it, it, it still feels, you know, fairly modern um, in, in certain ways. And the, uh, the, the guitar work is really awesome. Just, uh, it, it was as good as I remembered it and, and kind of grew on me even more as, as I listened to it throughout the week.
Nice. I, I well, well said, and, and I definitely like that. Um, I, I think the next track is, again, another track that provides a ton of contrast, and that's Evil Woman, which was a cover of, by a band called Crow, which was an American like blues band that was active around the same time as, as these early Sabbath albums were coming out. Uh, I think they dated back to 1967. What are your thoughts on Evil Woman? Because this is definitely a different different feel to it. Yeah, not the same evil woman that ELO would release five years later. Uh, no, no. With, uh, when they, when they may or may not have said Bruce a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> you know, this is this was a pretty cool tune. Um, again, like another kind of uh, bluesyish number with like a really um, prominent bass line underneath it all, and um, I guess you know, like an okay chorus. Like it's 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 fine. Um, it has, it's a, it has a nice kind of uh, pace to it where you just kind of tap your foot along with it. It's not, I think it's the shortest song on the album. Um, it's okay. I mean, it's fine. I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was, it was there. It's funny. I don't like the track, but I'll be damned if it wasn't stuck in my head all week. It is so yeah. catchy and I don't like it, but it was just so catchy. Um, to your point, the bass here is again, what really stands out to me. I think that in many ways, I actually hear a very, very Beatles-esque sound before the main riff kicks in, but the beginning is very Beatles-esque to me. And then all of a sudden, it's, the rest of the track is kind of pedestrian. But again, it's just so catchy that like I have to give it respect because I think I found myself singing it every time I like I go for a walk, and all of a sudden I'd be singing "Evil Woman" to myself. I'm like, I just can't get this song out of my head. But it was, it was, it's effective in, in that regard. And then you go into Sleeping Village. Yeah. Which- well, just just before yeah, cut yeah. Off real quick, the the beginning Please. of the song reminded me of White Room by Cream, the um, yeah, the band that Eric Clapton was in. Um, it came. The song had come out a couple of years prior, but it kind of reminded me of the beginning of, of that song. So I can hear that. I definitely can. Um, it's funny because then it gives way to Sleeping Village, which is another song with like a kind of weird guitar effects at the start. I don't quite know if it reminds me of Frogs or springs or some sort of boing, like this really weird sound. But then all of a sudden Ozzy kicks in and it gives way to like, what's almost like this quirky progressive instrumental tune that reminds me of the Rolling Stones in spots. This is a weird song, but I kind of liked it and I can't really explain why, because to this day, I don't know what the hell I was listening to. Yeah. I think the first like 50 seconds of the song or what was considered a bit of finger. Yeah. Um, so about a minute in is where like it really kicks up. And I think that's where Sleeping Village starts if you're going off of the American version of the album. But yeah, it definitely picks up, then slows down, kind of goes to almost like an Iron Man kind of um, tempo. And then there's just like this like this like groovy like like bluesy kind of solo towards the end of the song that's that's really uh kind of catchy and fun um it's kind of a a, a kind of like a, a more upbeat kind of way to, to kick things off before you have this this 10 minute um epic song in warning which um was to me i mean th- th- that felt like it was there were times where i didn't realize i was still listening to the same song uh, it, f- it feels like it could be more than one song rolled into one yeah and it's kind of an epic way to end it this this <laughs> too is, is is a cover and it's interesting because 
you, you, here it is your debut album with seven songs not including the the bonus track wicked world and and two of them are covers uh it, the ainsley dunbar retaliation is the is the uh the group he's he's an english drummer and and ultimately it was his song that they covered and it's a 10 and a half minute song which is crazy because you know this is you know right right at the dawn of, of progressive rock but this song is all over the place but i really liked it and this was i think the song that kind of the more I listened to it, the more I, I really kind of enjoyed it and appreciated it. And, and in many ways, I feel like this would be a great live song to do an improv on, like an improvisation. And it reminds me of almost like the Grateful Dead or Fish or something like that in the way that it kind of just goes off on these tangents. Um, but I feel like it would be not, – not that they would do this, but I feel like it would be a great song to kind of rework and try different things on live. Yeah, I, I mean I agree with you completely. It, it definitely is – it bounces around a lot. Um, I hear like it's, American it's, country in certain spots, yeah. which is really nuts. And then it goes dark and doomy at the end, which is kind of how the album starts. So it's all over the place, but it's well done. Yeah. I, I, I started out thinking that this song was kind of boring and, and long. And, and then by the end of the week, I ended up really kind of enjoying it just because of all the different aspects um, that were going on. And uh, yeah, it's a it's an interesting choice to close out the the original version of the the album. Um, I got like the the lyrical part of it kind of stuck in my head of all the things on this, but um, it's definitely a uh, it's definitely a really good um, d- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just kind of a. a uh, an exhibition, I guess, for each for all the the instruments. Um, you know, you you got your bass, you got your drums, you got your guitar, and and they all like have their place and they really shine um, throughout the song. Um, it's just interesting. I wasn't really expecting Black Sabbath to have like this ten and a half minute song. I guess the fact that it's a cover kind of makes sense because um, I'm guessing the original song is probably more more blues and less rock. Um, did you did you listen to the um, the extra track uh, "Wicked World" by any yeah, chance? Yeah, I listened to it a bunch. It, it was kind of the most um, I don't know traditional rock song, I guess, in, in terms of just the way it's composed. I, it didn't really stand out to me. I, I didn't think it was necessarily fitting of, of the rest of the album, and I can understand why it didn't make the cut originally, even if it was recorded at the same time. I don't really have any strong thoughts either way. Um, it was, it was on the the original U.S. edition, though. Oddly enough, so oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I I I, I don't know. I, I think it's fine as at the end, but I would. <laughs> I, I think there's something to be said for closing the song, for closing the album with warning, and just going off on that high note with that again that dark and doomy sound at the end, which is how the album kind of opens up. Um, yeah, this album like- replaced uh, Evil Woman on the U.S. edition. Um, gotcha. Which is interesting because the two songs really aren't anything alike. Um, this one's a little bit more back to that kind of slower paced kind of thing, and then and then again, like towards the end, it's like um, more guitar stylings um, from Miami. Um, I, I I kind of liked it a little bit better as the last track, so because it, it didn't end things on such a kind of like a dreary note, I guess, as much as I felt like warning did. This one has a little bit more pick me up to it. Um, but, uh, 
I guess that's not how it was originally heard, either in England or in the U.S., because in England it wasn't part of the album, and in the U.S. it was right in the middle after uh, Nib. So, um, yeah, just interesting. But I, I wanted to make sure I checked that out, too, because it, it's just interesting to me that one song would be released in one country and the other would be released in the other. So I, I totally get that, and I, and I understand, and... Um, not, not necessarily my cup of tea, but that's not to say that it was it, not, you know, that it's a bad song by any, by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think I'd be remiss not to just name out, name a couple of, um, interesting tidbits. I, I did have the pleasure of seeing this band live a couple of years ago on their farewell tour, if you will. Phenomenal, phenomenal live band. Almost too good, if that makes sense. I'm wondering if they really, um, did you see them with, uh, with Ozzy? I did, I did, and I was wondering was if they were like, like so so deep into his. I, I gotta be run. honest with you, and this is kind of what I'm getting at. He, he sounded too good, and, and by that I mean I think they were sweetening the sound, and I don't want to <laughs> cast yeah. accusations where I, I don't have proof, but like he couldn't have sounded as good as he did because he sounded too good. But I mean, it was a great show. I just think that there may have been some. Uh, uh, some wizardry, if you will, that was kind of going into that performance because it was phenomenal. And I'm so happy that I got to see them because it was one of those things that I'll, I'll never forget. But I'll, but it's ironically enough, not the first time that I saw Tony Iommi play live. Did I ever tell you this story? I don't even know if you know this. Uh, it doesn't bring a bell. In 1999, uh, I go to a Megadeth concert with Mike Crea. We go to the Roseland Ballroom and Megadeth and Typo Negative are playing a show. And unbeknownst to me, I was not a Typo Negative fan at the time. In retrospect, probably a really cool thing to see because I got to see their full set. But here I am at this show and it was a benefit show for the Concrete Foundation, which is, um, you know, like a kind of like a a charity organization. And at the end of the show, uh, at the end of the set, two musicians would come out on stage. And I thought it was interesting because they play Paranoid and they play, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Paranoid. And I think it was one other song at the end of the set. And who would come out but Tony Iommi and Bruce Dickinson. It, was, it wow. wasn't it was bad. It was really, really cool. <laughs> and so they, they uh, I, I'm sure I could find the set list or whatever, but they did like, I think a couple of Black Sabbath songs at the end with Iommi and Dickinson on vocals. And it was like, I mean, kind of mind blowing at the time. And in this relatively small 3000 uh, person standing room only venue. So it was cool. So I saw Iommi then, and then I got to see him again, you know, 20 years later with, with, with Sabbath. So it was kind of cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I was always curious um, how Ozzy, would be because i mean i've heard recordings of him doing solo stuff where he sounds unintelligible and i've heard other recordings of him where he sounds just fine and and i I don't blame you for having your suspicions um but i just thought it was interesting just because of all this uh you know older material um and and i gotta tell you like you had mentioned it last week but um i hope that we dig into more black sabbath especially when um they would you know make vocalist changes because um i'm not familiar with the the do version at all um so i i would you know i'm look forward to getting into that um i mean like i you know i really liked a song that always stuck out to me was never say die which came out like eight years after this album because that was like something that 
you know, it, it was just more what I like, you know, less oh, dreary and more. Yeah. yeah exactly. oriented. Well, it's funny you yeah. mentioned that. The, you talk about Dio. We actually had a request come in this week for Dehumanizer, which is one of his albums with Black Sabbath from 1992. So at some point we'll cover that, um, you know, in, in the months to come. I think that that would be a really interesting look to contrast the early Black Sabbath with kind of the Dio Black Sabbath uh, of, of later years. And, um, you know, they've had a run of, of great vocalists. So it's, it's interesting. But yeah, I, I definitely have my suspicions about the live show, but it was still cool to see for what it was. And I would go again tomorrow in a heartbeat. Um, it actually makes me want to go see Judas Priest on their last tour because I didn't go. And now I feel like I would do myself a favor and, and kind of buy a ticket to that. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, uh, it's, you never know when it's going to be the last tour. I mean, I, I sat on seeing Rush and I, that ended up, you know, that'll be end up being a lifelong regret of mine, never getting to see them. So, um, yeah, I, I say if you have a shot, take your shot. And, and you know, just like I, I was hoping to see, uh, you know, Iron Maiden open for Within Temptation in Long Island, and and your gun and your wish is coming true in just a couple of months. So I look forward. I look forward to that. Yeah, Scale just, wanted- fl- just flip flopped because uh, <laughs> Iron Maiden is not opening, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Scale of one to ten, what are you giving this? Um, I give it a 6.75. I, I liked it. Um, nothing really blew my socks off. Nib was my favorite song, like I mentioned. Um, again, like I don't have the benefit of the nostalgia factor on this one. Um, so, I mean, the song, this album is, is pretty much brand new to me in all of its 52 year glory. Um, so I, I'm not saying that it wouldn't rank higher over time, but, um, it, it it was just okay to me. I feel like I probably would have enjoyed a later Sabbath album or maybe even a Dio Sabbath album. But I mean, I'm glad that I got to listen to it and it was enjoyable. It wasn't long. Um, it, it was a pretty quick listen. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would give it. Um, you know, just you know, it was it was good. Um, just wasn't great for me, but it was good. To- totally get it. To me, it's a seven point five. I think there's a couple of really remarkable. Um, standout tracks i think there's you know some filler on here some some obviously uh you know a cover or two which you know i i think that it would have been nice to hear their own stuff i i happen to be a bigger fan of the follow-up album which is um has probably five or six all-time classics on it whereas this maybe has two or three so i i just think it gets better with time uh in fact my favorite song sabbath bloody sabbath isn't even on those first two albums so it, you have to wait for that for for a little bit so 7.5, I, I think that it just obviously iconic in its own way. If you're talking about impact on, on other things that would come ahead, it's a 10 out of 10, a hundred times over. But for my years and for my taste, it's, it's a 7.5. I never profess to be the biggest fan of the band, although I do appreciate a lot of their songs. So that's, that's what I'll say about that. Uh, just one small news bit this week. Uh, Sinner, uh, Matt Sinner's band, which has been around since 1982, is coming out with their new album. It's coming out on the 15th of July. It's called Brotherhood. Uh, it's good to hear that he's coming out with new music. My understanding was that Primal Fear had to cancel a whole bunch of shows because he had been in bad health, but it seems he was like, like he was able to get into the studio and, and lay the tracks down for the guitar work on this album. So that's definitely good news to hear. Very nice. Um, yeah, I'll have to give that a listen. Um, doesn't seem like there's uh, too much else going on, huh? Um, 
I just pre-ordered a Collective Soul album, so this just goes to show you how much metal news there is right now. <laughs> but we, it gives you a chance to catch up, if nothing else. But, of course, that brings us to next week, and, and it's your turn to pick. And I feel like Power Quest, with that being in the rearview mirror, it, it's time it's time for another Chris Nietzsche um, selection. So what, what should I queue up for, for uh, my listening this week? Uh, you know, something just kind of popped up uh, and, and, uh, it just made sense that we needed to talk about it. And it's, uh, an album celebrating, uh, 30 year anniversary and it's, uh, images and words by dream theater. Um, we have only spoken about one dream theater album and it's, you know, probably their most divisive in falling into infinity. So let's just talk about an album that was pretty much a grand slam and, um, I just saw so many musicians on social media post like how important this album was to them and, and being that it was celebrating its 30th anniversary I think um, earlier this week uh, I, I just feel like the time is right for us to cover our next Dream Theater album and, and this was um, this was like a big one for me when I got it in high school so uh, yeah that, that's uh, like you said um power quest in the rearview mirror so what better way to celebrate talking for 20 hours about power metal by talking about one of the most uh, iconic prog metal albums ever maybe maybe the most influential also maybe my most played album ever it's definitely in the running i i, I really wish i would have kept tabs on it um maybe not maybe, maybe it's not but if it's not number one it's definitely in the top 10 I'm not even going to say anything other than tune in next week and you'll hear my thoughts, but uh, an excellent choice, a timely choice. And I, I remember when I chose Falling Into Infinity, I can't believe we haven't done another one since. So it is definitely uh, long overdue and, and, and definitely timely at that. So uh, I'm pretty sure I chose that, actually. Oh, well, in that case, then I haven't chosen one yet. So this would be uh, <laughs> so uh, very, very good choice for number two. I. I don't know. Memory doesn't serve, and I can go back and look, and that's why uh, I'm glad all this stuff is archived. But yeah, Images and Words, excellent selection, and I uh, look forward to discussing it next week. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much um, so much Dream Theater material. I thought that we should at least do another one, and, and uh, you know, I, I definitely want to talk about Awake and, and Scenes from a Memory at some point as well. But um I just felt like this. This is just an iconic album, and it it, it should be in our archives. So this happy is anniversary be. to Images. Of yeah, Warriors. this is so the time. This <laughs> I, I'll take the time now and and cue us out. Thank you for joining us this week. Keep the uh, keep the requests coming. We love to see what you want to hear, and we will catch you uh, next week when we cover Dream Theater's Images and Words. I can't believe it's been thirty years. It's insane. But enjoy the week, and I will talk to you soon. All right, take care, buddy. A little bit too strong. Yeah.